Hey, you're listening to Blindsight. Let's go. Dental health isn't something to take lightly. It's time to fight. It's time to thrive. Let's do this. Hi there. Welcome to Blindsight, your program on mental health and mental wellness. I'm your host, Bill Lundgren, and I'm very pleased to be with you. Uh, And I'm also very pleased to be able to continue my discussion with our guest, Leah uh, Gasson. Oh, Leah, I'm sorry. I'm screwing up your name again. It's okay. (laughs) Welcome aboard, Leah. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. Well, where we left off last time, we were talking about uh, you were doing some exploring some marketing uh, to op- optometrists and people who are likely to see people with vision problems. But it started me thinking, and particularly because I just completed giving a, a presentation at a uh, conference, uh, that part of what we need to do is to make ourselves as people with blindness, with disabilities, to our colleagues and get in their, you know, basically get in their faces and let them know that they're competent therapists to whom they can refer people who have blindness or have a disability uh, and and help them to see that, that the fact of having a disability does not mean you're not competent. It just means you have to do things differently. Right, you, I agree. Yeah. You know, well, what are your thoughts about that? Are people in your area uh, with with blindness letting each other know and letting the community know that we're out there working? Well, it's it's actually really challenging. I have reached out to the local, um, I guess, Center for Vision Impairments um, and mentioned that I would like to offer my services. I would like to do a support group. And and I, I hear back an initial, like I'll, I'll email and I'll get an initial response of, yeah, that's great. And then I'll follow up and I never hear back. Or I'll put out on a Facebook group that I'm available and you get people who respond in comments like, oh, how great. And then there's no follow through. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's it's really challenging. And even with the local area, like Association of Mental Health Counselors, I've tried to reach out to them and network. But it's it's, again, a, a little bit of a challenge because. Uh, the the area is so big, and transportation can be uh, a problem. Right, and yeah. mm-hmm. I, I feel like my colleagues sort of don't know what to do when I show up at a networking event with my guide dog, and um, you know they they just sort of don't don't know what to do with me. You know what I mean? Boy, I know that feeling. You know, one time I was at a workshop, and a counselor came up to me and said, how could you be a therapist? You can't see uh, my body language or my facial expression. Mm. 
And I didn't bite the bait, but it just happened at that conference. There was a, uh, uh, the instructor had us pair off and do some exercises. And I think by the time we finished the exercises, she uh, sort of uh, backed off from, from her opinion. But she was also a newbie. Uh, to just in, in training. But I think, as, exactly as you say, people who are counselors don't know what to do with us because we're, right. you know, we're, we're different from them, quote-unquote. And yet we're not really, but as far as they're concerned. And, and you know, since I can't see at all, uh, I have some hesitancy just walking around and trying to introduce myself if I'm not sure that there's a person there. Because I can just imagine somebody say, oh, you know that Bill Lundgren, he was talking to a wall mm-hmm. or, a flat, or, or a light post, a lamp. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I said, that's going to really help my reputation. Right, right. Yeah, you know, we all have our our internal biases, and I think that's what really comes out when, when you have someone mention to you, like, oh, how can you be a therapist? You're blind, or whatever they said, how you can't see or hear. But the the answer, in my mind, is, you know, knowing knowing what it's like is really to be able to say, well, maybe I just do things differently from you but I'm still very effective and good at my job. Right. And also, I think it's important for people who have that disability to be reassured that, yes, we can uh, perform normal function and we're out there and we're running a business or we're uh, working with people and we're competent, and it, it really can be a matter of our mindset that keeps us from doing some of the things that we really dream about. Right. I, I agree 100%. It's so interesting how, like I said, internal prejudices, how much we have about ourselves sometimes, too. Exactly. Exactly. And the, the thing is, uh, I also, uh, in my talk to the people that were, were there, all of whom were cited, of course, uh, I talked about a lot of the training programs uh, get, uh, and even the uh, schools may give the impression that uh, these little deers have to be protected from taking any risk or mm-hmm. they're or they may instill in them the idea that of, of being, you, well, you, you can't do certain things because you have a disability. And I think that is the most harmful thing, particularly for kids with disabilities, to be told, well, you, you're not good enough or you can't do this, when if you really think about it, we can do pretty much any, anything you want to do. I talk about driving an 18-wheeler, and I think that may be a little beyond the uh, uh, purview of somebody who's blind. But For uh, now, because <laughs> they're making self-driving trucks, so someday. Well, that's, that's what we can hope for. And a friend of mine said, well, if you decide to drive, let me know, so I'll stay off the road. Uh, right, but, right. But, you know, in a lot of things, we it, it's what... Uh, 
I know the National Federation for the Blind talks about we can do anything we want to do. We just need to do it differently. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was a student at one of their schools, uh, having, having my fellow students in the in my apartment, and uh, we were talking, well, can a blind person rob a bank? And we spent quite some time trying to figure out how, you know, how we could do it, especially with revolving doors and so forth. Not that we were planning to, but when somebody says, oh, you can do anything you want to do, then, you know, the the uh, the thing we do go to is, uh, oh, no, we can't. <laughs> right. Right. That's sort of the default answer. But with technology being the way it is now, more and more, um, I think, you know, the sky's the limit, really. It it just all starts with figuring out what you want to do. I think so many people are like just so quick to to say, oh, I can't do it, so I'm not going to try. Right. That's exactly right. And I think sometimes our there's a fear of failure. Mm-hmm. And I think we wouldn't have the computer uh, if Steve Jobs had said, well, I failed, so I can't do anything more with it. You know, he kept failing at a lot of things until he came up with the idea of the computer and made the computer work, a personal computer. But if he had decided, well, I failed at X, and we have to take that risk. And we have to be encouraged to take that risk. Right. To live a full life, I've, I personally think it's important, and if not vital, to take the risks because you don't want to be, you know, 100 years old and look back and say, well, if only I had had more confidence, if only I had done this, and if only I weren't blind, then my life would have been better. Well, you know... In with that, with your disability in mind, you know, there are workarounds. So really being able to, to try to have that confidence to try and to use some of the workarounds, you can get to where you want to be. Well, how was it for you to dive into being a social worker? I know. Well, when I... Yeah, when I started out, I w- my vision hadn't my my RP hadn't progressed as much as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started out, like I think I mentioned before, I'd done a lot of hiding and, and feeling a lot right. of shame about my vision loss. Um, and I think a big part of that was. I'm, and, and it's very ironic because I was doing a lot of work with kids with disabilities. And here I am. Mm-hmm. Hel- I, it's like I wanted to be in the helper role, not the helpy role. Um, one of the most rewarding times I had, which was pretty recent, well, in the past five years, I remember I was sitting in an, uh, a local screening meeting and... Um, there was a parent who brought up their child who had been diagnosed with some vision loss, but the parent was not, uh, English was not their first language. So they're saying the name of what the disease was and no one knew what the disease was. I think they said Ash syndrome or something. So I did a quick 
Google search, I was able to Google it. And what came up was Usher syndrome. And I said, oh, is it Usher syndrome? And they said, yes. And I knew all about that. I don't have Usher syndrome, but I know all about it because it's, it's you know, related to RP. Right. And I think right there, it was, the parent was relieved to see that someone understood because it's a right. very rare disease. And, and I also said, and by the way, I have RP and I was working and I wasn't, you know, a spring, I wasn't like 20. And so they, I think they were right there encouraged to see that their child may be able to have a quote unquote normal life for become a professional and, and do whatever, because my guess is the doctor that met with them said something like, yeah, your, your child's going to lose their eyesight and their hearing. Here's some resources. Good luck. And so they were like, I don't, you know, and the kid was young. I mean, you know, it's a very hard diagnosis and, um, but it was very fulfilling for me to have that connection. So I can even pass on some of, of what we're talking about to, and give the parents some hope. Um, exactly. Yeah. And, and so I that's think, why, you know, it's rewarding. That's why I find so much rewarding in the connection with other people dealing with similar um, struggles. Well, one of the things, you know, the Surgeon General's report of, on loneliness talks about how devastating that is. But for a lot of people with blindness, uh, they tend to go into isolation, you know, particularly older people with, uh, uh, with macular degeneration may just give up and say, oh, you know, I'm going blind, I can't do anything, because that's the, uh, often the public perception of uh, blindness. Right, right. I remember right. when... And that's why support groups, I think, are so helpful, because you absolutely. can realize you're not the only one. There are you know, stores like Maxi Aids, even Amazon, you know, you search for like a lot of older people like to play cards. There are large print playing cards. They're probably Braille playing cards. There are all sorts of accommodations that can help you do what you want to do. I mean, it doesn't have to be playing cards. It can be, you know, other things too, but I'm just thinking like, Someone, you know, what they would do if they weren't blind, you know, you can, again, find those workarounds to still do it. And that's, that's the goal. But having the confidence to say, this is what I want, you know, I think that's, that's where um, our, our mental health kind of can tend to get in the way of getting to what we want. You got it. And it really, and also, you know, when you're a kid, you tend to, Listen to your parents, and if your parents don't believe that you can do anything, then you're going to buy into that. And that's what we have to really guard against, uh, because every, so many things have changed over the years. And right. accessibility and, uh, you know, really by law, we uh, people have to make provision to help all of us. Uh, to be able to do what it is that we want to do. And the only thing that stops us is our own uh, belief. 
Right. The internal belief that we have. And yeah, I, I, my guess is in, you know, I, I'm a child of the eighties and nineties. And even back then it was sort of, um, you know, fortunately I wasn't, my vision hadn't deteriorated to a large extent at that time, but you, I just always had this perception of blind people as being a certain way, um, you know, sort of, even people who had guide dogs, I had this perception, you know, they can't see anything. They just sort of, you know, it's almost like the poster child for someone when you think of handicapped in a negative way. Right. Um, uh, Jerry's children. Remember? Well, that may have been before your time when Jerry Lewis would have the muscular dystrophy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And bring yeah, out right. bring out these sad-looking children and to right, raise them. Right. Yeah. That's the image people have. Yeah. And it's it's interesting even now, if I walk around with my guide dog, I don't think people look at me and say, oh, you're obviously blind. They'll say, oh, are you training your dog? Right. And I'm like, no. <laughs> isn't it, I feel like saying, isn't it obvious that she's pulling me? Um, but I think because I don't necessarily meet that stereotype. Right. And nor nor should we. Uh, I right. remember when I was a little kid, there was a uh, a man who uh, was blind, or at least he was pretending, who had a, a, a tray that was strung around his neck, you know, in his tray, and he would sell lavender. And that mm. was the way he made money. Now, somebody mm. watched him for a while and figured out he was making $89,000 a year from people buying lavender from him because they felt sorry for him. And, wow. And that That's was a lot of, lot of lavender. Right. I, sometimes, sometimes I think, oh, I wonder if I should be selling I lavender <laughs> instead of being a therapist. Right. <laughs> Might not be as fulfilling, though. No, not at all. Well, $89,000 would be I mean, yeah, you can buy some fulfilling with that. (laughs) (laughs) But but you see, that's the image that we have to break by being out there and uh, encourage others to break, to let parents know, as you did, that that isn't the end of the world, that things have changed and that children who have certain have disabilities can find ways to be fulfilled if they're allowed to think that way right well i remember i i read or listened to a book by um an author who spoke at one of the foundation fighting blindness conferences and he used to be a computer programmer i think and now he's in business but he is I believe he has RP um, or he has some other retinal degenerative disease. And he said when he went to college, he noticed he his vision was deteriorating to the point where it was very hard for him to read the material he had to do. And he and his mom, I guess, worked together where the mom recorded the books. They did some sort of really, you know, um, interesting workaround because they weren't widely available at the time. Mm-hmm. So he was able to get through college. And, you know, I think about that, how hard that must have been. And now, I mean, 
first of all, everything is probably online. Textbooks are mostly online. Right. Right. But with our computers, you put on accessibility and it, it will read it to you. You op- you download an app. Like I get so much junk mail, right? And and yeah. some some letters I actually, you know, need to read, but they're always the print is extremely small and right. it's hard for me to read. So I open up my seeing AI app, I take a picture, it reads it to me. Um it's it's just getting better. I mean, it's it's amazing. And it's not just blind people who benefit. It's people who have reading disabilities. Um, you can speed up the sound of the reading. So if it's a long letter, it doesn't take as long. Like, there's so many options now. I feel like, you know, it's just only getting better in terms of accessibility. And, Absolutely. And that, that's amazing. And, like, rideshare, you know, didn't exist back in the forties and fifties. And, you know, and now, um, you know, if I, if I can't get somewhere, then I can take an Uber or Lyft and, um, you know, I don't need to call a cab. When I, about 15 years ago, I went to a friend's wedding by myself and I was a good friend and there were a bunch of people there and that I knew, but I, I didn't have anyone to give me a ride. So I took a taxi to the wedding and, um, that was no problem. But coming back, I called the cab to come pick me up. And this was maybe like 10 o'clock at night. And they said, okay, we'll be right there. And I waited by the door. It took them an hour and a half to get to me. And meanwhile, I'm waiting by the door. I had said my goodbyes to everyone. And meanwhile, everybody I had said my goodbyes to was then leaving after I had already said my goodbyes. It was kind of right. embarrassing because there was like one cab in the area and it was busy. And so finally, like an hour and a half came to pick me up. And, and that was really, you know, annoying to say the least. But in this day and age, I, that problem wouldn't exist because Uber and Lyft are pretty much around. And um, so I, I do feel grateful that at least at this time, you know, if I'm going to have this disability, that it's now not in you know, I wasn't born in the 1900s, you know, 1900 yeah. or something. And, um, you know, so this enables me to get around, to do what I need to do. It's seamless. Um, I can even use an app to call Lyra, uh, not Lyra, uh, Lyft or Uber. Um, so I don't need to squint and strain my eyes to be able to pull it up and things like that. So, um, you know, it, that makes me feel a little bit better that it's it's not as harsh as like when I went to that wedding 15 years ago and I'm just waiting on the one cab in town. Right. You know, that, so. that the the problem, though, with Lyft and, and uh, uh, Uber, we're having some trouble, particularly those of us who use a dog. Yes, that can be a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I whenever I've used them, I haven't had a problem. One or two times Good. someone has tried to charge me extra thinking it's a pet. Um, and I will, you know, argue with them, say it's not. They said they say, like, you should have called for Uber pet because they have a separate, like, division for pets, I guess. I said it's not a pet. It's a seeing eye dog. And they usually, you know, oblige and whether it's reluctantly on their part, but they take me. Um but yes, that adds an extra complication to right. it because yeah. they're yeah. reluctant to do it. Well, I was in another city and uh, visiting some friends, and uh, I called uh, Lyft to uh, get me back to the hotel. 
And the first one just saw the dog and drove off. And the second one was mm-hmm. going to do, do the same thing in the doorman. Uh, my friend's building just stepped in front of the cab. And then they mm-hmm. had a big, big fight right there at <laughs> 10 o'clock at night. But yeah. the dr- that driver did take me, take me to where I needed to go. But, yeah, there's a certain education that has to be involved. I mean, it's, you know, being blind is not smooth sailing, but it uh, requires us to uh, be assertive, to learn to be assertive. And that's true. Whatever we decide to do is to be just, I want to do X, Y, Z, and I'm going to do it rather than what we're told Oh, that's too much bother, or or don't do that, and you know, just uh, do something else. And no, no, we we are free to do whatever it is that we want to do, but we have to want enough to make it happen. And right, right. Well, even like seeing a movie now. I mean. And that it is interesting, like, yes, it's important to be assertive, which makes some of us, it makes me sometimes a little uncomfortable, which I didn't realize I I was uncomfortable being assertive until, like, for example, I saw a movie recently and I asked for audio descriptive headphones, which, by the way, have you ever tried those? No, I haven't tried those yet. Oh, it's amazing. It's sort of like I didn't realize how much I was missing in seeing movies until now. Now I'm like, oh, that, you know, things make so much more sense. Audio description is like a game changer. Oh, yeah, Um, it is a game changer. I do that for theater. Yeah, Uh, yeah, for theater, too. Um, Yeah. But for and also for movies, so movie theaters, I I don't know if they're like required to have them, but I notice more and more movie theaters do. Mm-hmm. And recently, I went and saw a movie, and um, I went to two different movies. I had two different experiences. The first time, I was with someone who was also visually impaired, and we were given audio descriptive headphones that did not work. Oh, and yeah. And of course, you know, they're like sometimes calibrated for people with hearing challenges. Like people just group everybody with a disability together. They're like, yeah, yeah they want a headphone, hand them that. That's so right. it didn't work. So my friend who is visually impaired left the movie and made sure we got ones that worked. And I'm so grateful that she did. She was assertive. Now, then the second time I went with a non-visually impaired friend, got headphones different movie theater got the headphones they also didn't work they were they made it louder you know so again it was for hearing people with hearing challenges and i was reluctant to get up and and um go get ones that were know yeah mm-hmm. I, um i, I, I was that able feeling. I, I feel mm-hmm. like i got enough out of the movie but it was it's just i need to force myself to go out well, part of it was I didn't have my dog with me, and I would have had to have my friend guide me out of the theater because it was dark and the movie, you know, the movie had started and everything. Yeah. Um, but but you know, it's really finding that balance of being assertive but also you know respectful and polite too. Like I don't, yeah. I don't think any of us want to you know go and make a stink everywhere we go and, and right. Well, you're talking about the difference between assertive and aggressive. Sometimes yes. 
Sometimes yeah. it, we feel like we have to be aggressive, and yes. that's not a good move on our on any of our parts. But at times, you know, we may have to move to that because somebody just doesn't get it. Exactly. And um, so at the end of the movie, uh, I went and I shared with the concession or whoever I got the headphones from that it didn't work, and they gave me back my money. Okay. Which you know, was, was nice. It didn't really solve the problem. No, but it didn't. It I, didn't. For the next time I go, I have to make a point. Sometimes it helps me to plan, you know, if this doesn't work, I'm going to do this, give myself right. a to-do list. That makes sure that ensures I'm going to be assertive. Um, because it really, you know, it's needed even just as a practice for me to learn how to do and be habituated to. Right. Well, the thing is, you have a liability, but I think by being a woman, you know, women is kind of frowned on when women are being assertive. And so it's a double whammy because, uh, you know, for a guy to be aggressive, they say, oh, you know, that's okay. But there's that still that, that stigma associated with women being assertive. And when you're blind, you have to be assertive. Uh, and, you know, it's like you, you're going against your training. Is that not true? Um, you know, I've never really thought about it like that um, mm-hmm. in terms of a woman being assertive and aggressive versus, well, yeah, I think what a woman, stereotypically, we don't want to, as women, we don't want to come out across as too aggressive or too right, right. strong or being a pain or things like right. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of those just subtle nuances. No one's ever said to me, Leah, don't be a bother so much, but um, subtle nuances of that, whereas a man can get away with uh, much more yes. but before they're sort of looked at as, as a pain and a bother. And right. Mm-hmm. That type of thing. But yeah. um, so that, that doesn't weigh in my mind in those moments, but what does is just, you know, I have to go back to what do I want? I want to be able to enjoy the movie like everyone else. They have right. this technology, which is here. It should work. Um, I, you know, I think in that situation where I saw the movie with my non-visually impaired friend, she would have been probably fine if I said, can I hold on to you as you guide me out so I get audio descriptive headphones that work. Right. So recognizing when I'm thinking I'm being a bother, but I'm not, if, you know, if that resonates at all. Like, you know, sometimes I think I'm being a pain more than I'm actually being a That's pain. That's right. That's what we tend to, because we want to be nice to everybody and we want to be, but sometimes being nice, uh, we can be nice, but still say, look, this is what I have to have. And I think movie theaters don't test out the equipment. Right. I don't think they do at all because they and, just handed me some headphones. And right, like, right. On. And they assume it's <laughs> right. And we've got to change that. And sometimes we have to be a pain in the neck until they realize that they have, you know, by law, they have to do it. And so, right. And I think the motto of, you know, assertive, not aggressive is a really good one because, I, it's a good distinction to make. Being assertive is different from being aggressive. I think right. most people don't want to be aggressive, but they group them all together. 
Yeah. It's okay to be assertive, you know, just like if you go to a restaurant and you order the steak and they give you the fish, you, to be assertive is to say, excuse me, I ordered the steak. You gave me the wrong thing. Being aggressive, of course, is like throwing it on the floor. Right. Exactly. I'm never coming back. Right. Right. Threatening Um, the waiter. Yeah. Yeah. Threatening the, the waiter and the restaurant and all that. But, but it's perfectly reasonable to be assertive. Yeah, and we have to remember that we have that right. We have that right to be assertive. Now, one of the things that, you know, was also thinking about is the issue of getting people with mental health issues who are, have a disability or specifically people who are blind to be okay about seeking help. You know, where uh, that, okay, anxiety or depression, when it's, you know, it's disabling, uh, we have just as much right to go and get it, and we can't feel ashamed of that on top of the shame that we may have about having a a physical disability. But, there you know, there are a lot of people who just are hesitant because they feel like it's one shame on another. Right. Right. And, and you know, I don't know, other than really trying to normalize, that we all can really benefit from getting some support right. when needed. Um, I don't know how to to really reach those who really need it and say it. You know, it, it's it's okay. It's yeah. okay to reach out. Right. It can only help you. Yeah, because yeah, maybe what's going on is not necessarily a mental health issue. So if you say, you know, I don't like what's happening, instead of sitting with it, to go talk to a counselor and say, is this, you know, something I need to do something about? And you and the counselor can, if the counselor is attuned to the difference between mental health and uh, and disabilities, they can they can be interwoven or they can be very separate. Right. And we want to make sure that people who need the help can feel comfortable getting it and not feel ashamed of being. I'm blind and having something else that might be going on and maybe even understand that their mental health issue may have nothing to do with their having a disability. Right. Whether it does or doesn't, you know, I, I tend to think it's it's something that is so important to be open to Yeah. because it goes back to quality of life, right? We only have one life, uh, you know, on this planet, as far as we know. So, my attitude has always been, you know, if you're feeling low, if you're feeling down, then what, and people are saying this might help me, why not try it? Because it's probably not going to make things worse. Well, and that, that's, that's my attitude, but I, I don't know if other people have well, that's, that. That's an attitude we need to develop now. One of the really serious uh, issues that 
people with blindness tend to uh, be a higher rate of problems with drugs and alcohol, but they get enabled by people who say, well, if uh, if I were blind, I would be drinking too, or I'd be using right. pills. Right, or I've, I've had family members say, if I were blind, I'd kill myself. I mean, right, absolutely. Flat out, you know, close family members say that. Now, number one, why would you say such a thing? Number two, how do you think that makes me feel? Mm-hmm. Um, but those same people, when I step back and look at it, would say, you know, if I lost my right arm, I'd kill myself. I mean, I think people, those, you have to look at people who make statements like that as to what their own, what those, that's about those people, right. not about the disability. That's right. about their reaction to perhaps imperfection or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, you know, they, or they just, you know, don't, are, they don't know what else to say. So they just kind of, word vomit a little bit you know that's that's really more about that person than about me that's right Um, but it takes some some perspective to be able to step away from that and not get emotional and just say you know that's about them that's about Um, them exactly happens all the time it happens all the time and sometimes because we hear it so much we almost begin to believe what other people are saying rather than saying to ourselves, no, wait a minute, that isn't the way I think, the way that I want to live. And right. That I can, and this is, this is, I think, something that you and I as therapists have to get out to people. Look, you can be whatever it is you want to be. You just need to, uh, to work at it. Now, uh, I was fortunate, my mother, uh, you know, I grew up in a time when they didn't have uh, a special ed or any of that. And she was encouraged to put us in a school for the blind. My sister and, and I both were deaf, were born deaf, part of the Usher syndrome. And she, one of the things she would say, you can hear, you just need to try harder, which mm-hmm. was a little overstatement. But mm-hmm. there's a certain grain of truth to it in that we can do whatever we want, we just need to try until we understand maybe it's not worth it, but at least to try it so we know that we've made the decision, not somebody else. Right. Well, I just wonder if um, if that... So did you go to a school for the blind no. or mm-hmm. school for the deaf? No, she was able to work it out with the school so that, and, and we didn't have hearing aids at the time. This was an elementary mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. She made arrangements with the teachers in the school. She became good friends with all the teachers, where we uh, uh, sat right in front of the teacher at all times. So mm-hmm. I learned to, to lip read. And that's, mm-hmm. that's how I managed to survive. Uh, and even in some some situations I was in where I could lip read what uh, some what one person was saying to somebody else across the room, and I uh, tuned in to some interesting conversations that way that, that I didn't let them know I was understanding it. But oh. the my mother pretty 
pressure in saying, okay, I want my children to be in a regular school because at that time, and I think in some some cases now, the best you can get is a fourth grade education in a uh, deaf school. Mm. So she put us right in front of the teacher, even when the teacher had alphabetized the class, you know, in Mm -hmm. terms of seating arrangement. I was put right in front of the teacher, and that way I was able to make it through. And my sister was able to to make it through, and both of us got master's degrees. That's amazing. It sounds like your mom was a really strong person. She was a strong person, absolutely. She was very much uh, in tune with what needed to be done for for her children to get the best. It was hard work for us because it's a you know uh, a royal pain in the butt to be different from everybody else. Mm-hmm. But in the long run, it was it was uh, what helped and it encouraged me to say, okay, I can do whatever I want. I just need to, as mo- my mother would say, try harder. Right. But I was thinking at first when you mentioned that about she just she said you can hear you just need to try harder. I wonder if that originally disempowered you because right there's it, only so much you can try to hear. It sounds like right. you found a way to compensate, but you can't really make yourself hear better. Well, I think, you know, that's I felt very angry about it. I still growing up, I say, you know, that was a little bit of overkill. Mm hmm. But you see, the opposite would have been even worse. Right. And so I give her some grace now that I'm an adult and see the the position that she was in. And also... Well, yeah. Reminds me of the movie Ray. Did you ever see the movie Ray Ray, about Ray Charles? I think it was Ray is what it was called. Right. Mm -hmm. I never saw it, but I know what you mean. Oh, so there's a scene in there at the beginning... Um, where Ray Charles is a child, I think he's six, and he's going blind. And the mom, and I'm sure this is fictionalized, but the mom is watching him put his hand right by a hot stove. And she's watching him figure out where the heat is. And as you're watching the movie, you're like, oh, my God, this is horrible. He he can easily touch the burner. He doesn't see where it is. But the mom is sort of watching in the background, letting him learn how to feel the heat himself. You got it. Yeah, and he got it. So, you know, that it's a very powerful scene because you're realizing, you know, she's she has that tough love where she's like, you're going to need to figure this out. I'm going to watch you and I'll support you, but I'm going to let you figure it out because I'm right. not always going to exactly. be here. So and sometimes we have to get, we have to get, you know, uh, uh, some, some burn, some injury. Not want to avoid major injury, but it, that's how we learn. Sometimes that's how we learn to say, okay, I don't do that because I, I can't see it or whatever. But the the opposite of being cushioned from trying anything is, I think, more harmful. Right. Or if someone's doing everything for you, like if right. the mom in the Ray scene was like, 
okay, honey, you stay away from the stove. I'll right, get you. Exactly. You need this, I'll get it for you. You just stay here. You just stay here. I'll get it. And you got it. That would be the worst because he probably would never leave the house. And, uh, you know, who knows and that's what, what would happen. happen. And that's what yes. happens uh, too many times. And that's why, uh, you know, we have to, those of us who are in the mental health field have to do say, hey, you know, try some things. Don't, don't take excessive risk. But, you know, try things out in little bits and see how it works for you, whether you're liking it, whether it's whatever, and encourage people to at least try and then right. learn what they can and cannot do. Exactly. Learn for themselves, not yeah. not rely on someone telling them you can and can't do this. But exactly. exactly. learn for yourself what you can and can't do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, our time is up, but I want to tell you how much I've enjoyed this exchange with you. And yeah, I've really enjoyed it as well. Thank you again good. for having me. And have a, uh, you know, uh, I hope that people in Florida are tuning in and will remember your name and be able to uh, refer to you as well as encourage you to uh, to talk to different groups about working with people with, with disabilities because we need advocates out there. Yep, definitely. I'd like to say if anyone is listening and is interested in talking with me, just reach out to the show and they'll put you in contact with me. Okay, okay. Do you want to give uh, a, a number or an email where people can contact you directly? I would just say if they can um, contact the, I guess, the feedback line, and then um, I'll, I'll get that message and we'll go through there. Great, okay. Yeah, that's a good idea. What uh, the parent organization is trying to do is establish a resource list, a mental health resource list, so that people can tune in, uh, can contact us, and get some names and, and some ideas from people. And I'm supposed to tell everybody the feedback uh, line to email us is exactly that feedback at aftersight.org or to call us and uh, to give feedback, call the feedback line. And that's uh, 7702, I'm sorry, 720, 712-8856. I'll get that right one of these days. Okay, thank you. And... Uh, Best wishes to all. Look forward to seeing you uh, next time out. Take care.